Well, I suppose you're all wondering how I got here, and actually so do I. Uh, Six weeks, two months ago, I was having lunch with Pastor Eddie, and he started to tell me about a program in which the church was going to move, leading to a Great Commitment Sunday. And he got enthused about it. And when Eddie gets enthused about something, hang on. He was really laying it out on the table for me. And and he was kind of hinting around the edges about who they were going to invite to be the speaker for Consecration Sunday. And finally, I just had to say, Eddie, are you inviting me? Well, he said, on behalf of Steve and I, I'm inviting you. But I had to really pull it out of him, so that's why I'm here today. And uh, Pastor Steve already mentioned, if you're a visitor, if you're not a part of this congregation, now welcome. But, but we are talking about some family stuff today, and so we invite you to listen in, and maybe God will even move in your heart to become a part of the family. But that's between you and him and everything else, and that's not what I'm involved in today. I'm talking to the members of the family. Now, being in a family has certain responsibilities and certain privileges. You can do things within the family that you don't do if you're not a part of the family. That got pushed on me as an experience when I was a junior in high school. Uh, I was dating a real pretty girl by the name of Joanne Milton. And her father was one of the most distinguished... I married Joanne's... A attract me. Joanne was a good friend, so were her husband John and her later of Joanne and me, Joanne my wife. So that's a name that I was easy to deal with. But uh, uh, anyway, I was dating Joanne and her father was a very distinguished physician, surgeon, chief of staff of Swedish Hospital in Minneapolis. And I was invited over to the Milton's home for her birthday celebration when we were juniors in high school, 16, 17 years old. And uh, that summer I was spending time in my dad's office company, and I wanted to get a nice present for her. I really didn't know what to get. There was a younger fellow who worked in my dad's company, and I was busy over lunch, and he had been married about three months, and I said, look, why don't you go down to Dayton's on your lunchtime, and get a nice present for me to give to Joanne tonight at the family dinner. So he said, what should I get? You're married. You know what girls like. You know you know better than I do. So down he went and he came back. He had a little package, and I opened it. And it was a frilly black negligee. And I went stone cold in fear. I said, if I brought that to that birthday party tonight, when she opened that, her father would do major surgery on me. (laughs) No way. So back he went down to Dayton's and turned it back in and got some piece of jewelry or something like that that was nice. And uh, when it was opened at the birthday table, it made an impression, and all was well, and I have survived that experience. Now... Family has responsibility, and family has privilege. And today we're talking about what's all in the family. Uh, When Eddie asked me to come and speak, I thought about speaking here at First Baptist Pasadena, 
because I've been familiar with this church for a long time. Uh, when Joanne and I first left Minneapolis and came here to Fuller Seminary in the late 1950s, uh, I remember seeing this church on a television program sponsored by Inglewood Park Cemetery called The Great Churches of the Golden West. And uh, they would go to the great churches of Southern California for a Sunday service. And I remember seeing the service here and being incredibly impressed with the pastor of this church. The uh, Reverend Dr. Charles Bell was pastor. And he was tall and handsome and distinguished with courtly southern manners. And, and he did a fantastic job of, of presenting uh, the gospel. And I was impressed with him, not knowing that later Charlie and I would become friends as we worked together on various committees and things in, in our denomination. Then Bill Godwin came, and, and I knew him. Then Harold Lane came, and Harold and I had the opportunity of serving together on the general board of the American Baptist Churches USA. And we became friends, and we made it a point of eating lunch or dinner together with great regularity. And thinking back, I can think of some of the things we talked about at these dinners when it was just the two of us. And it's unfortunate for posterity that there hadn't been someone there to record these conversations because we solved all the problems of the American Baptist churches. And we solved most of the world problems. And and because no one wrote it down, alas, it's been lost to the ages and that great wisdom has evaporated. But Hal and I had a great time working together. I knew Jim Cook. Then Bill came back for a while and now you're fortunate to have Steve Hasper as your pastor. God has blessed you with great leadership, dedicated, skilled servants of Christ in this congregation. That's the family of which you're a part, and I'm glad to be talking to the family this morning. Now, there's another kind of family, the real family that we're talking about here. It's the family of Jesus Christ. How do we define this family? Well, Well, Jesus began to define it in Matthew the 12th chapter, he had been teaching and preaching and people were there. And then in the 46th verse it says, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brothers stood outside wanting to speak to him. Someone told him, your mother and your brothers are standing outside wanting to speak to you. You know, it's interesting how, how when God moved on the spirit of people to write things like this, they repeated While he was preaching, they were standing outside wanting to speak to him, and someone came to him and said, they are standing outside. You get the message. They were standing outside wanting to speak to him. And he replied, who is my mother? And who are my brothers? Pointing to the disciples, he said, here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. So he began to talk about the family that he was building as something that was built upon relationship. And then later in the book of Matthew, he further defines this uh, over in the 16th chapter. And uh, let me give you this in kind of the Bill Ebling uh, version of, of what happened. It was hotter than all get out down around the Sea of Galilee. And, the, and they were just sweltering. And somebody said to Jesus, let's go up to Caesarea Philippi where it's nice and cool, 
where the Jordan River, uh, one of the branches of the Jordan begins by uh, leaping out of a spring at the foot of a cliff. It's kind of like natural air conditioning. We can go up there and get a good fresh breath of air and, and we can kind of relax a little bit. So up they went. And in those days, it was a rocky place. The uh, spring was right in the foot of a cliff. It, it's miraculous. The water just bubbles up there and starts one of the branches of the Jordan. And it was filled with little rocks and boulders. And, and they were sitting out in the river, probably dangling their feet in the water. And Jesus offhandedly said, hey, down there, who do they say I am? What are they saying down there? Tell me about it. And they said, oh, some say you're Elijah, come back. And some say you're one of the prophets, Jeremiah. And th- then he looked at them and he really put, the, put them on the spot. He said, but, but whom do you say? that I am. And some of them bit their lips and they looked at each other and looked down to see if there were any little fishes swimming by in the water and finally said, you are the, Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, "Uh, Peter, you didn't figure this out by yourself, but God gave it to you. It wasn't revealed by men. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Now, the church, two Greek words meaning called out from. The family is made out of those who are called out from what they were to what God wants them to be in faith in Him. They're transformed in this moment, and as we are born into a family by natural birth, we are born supernaturally into the family of God by hearing His voice that calls us. Pastor Steve wrote about it here. Saul was on his way to Damascus to persecute the Christians, and on the way, Jesus stood and met him in a bright light. And Saul fell on his face and he cried out saying, Who are you? And Jesus answered to him, I'm Jesus whom you persecuted. And Saul said, Oh no, I knew it would be you. And then the story goes on from there. Saul heard the voice. And one way or another, we hear the voice. He touches us as children, as adolescents, as young people, as young marriage, as old people, wherever it is in the pathway of life, we meet Jesus and He calls us and we become His. And this is the church, those who've had this experience of meeting and answering Him. And so here we are, a group of people in Pasadena who have been called out by God to be the body of Christ represented in what we call the First Baptist Church. Now, there are all kinds of other churches around, and God has called them there. We're not concerned about them this morning. We're concerned about us, because God called us to be here. He didn't call us to be there. He called us to be His body and respond to what He would have us do in our, in our lives here in this congregation. Now, Paul, and this comes to the theme of what I want to talk about, and I'm going to hurry because I know that in about 15 minutes something exciting is going to happen here, and I want to go to lunch with you, so uh, I won't be talking when you're leaving. Uh, we'll get this together. 
In, in the book of 1 Corinthians, Paul has covered a whole range of topics. And the last one he's top, caught, is touched and expanded has been what it means to be in Christ and have the promise of resurrection. Have promise of life eternal. Have promise that we will be with Jesus. This is in ringing words. And at the end of the 15th chapter, he says, Therefore, in light of all this, therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. And then he gives us a concrete way to do what he just told us to do. The church in Jerusalem was in big trouble. They were starving. And Paul had been raising an offering for the church in Jerusalem all over the Greek world where he was ministering. And so after these ringing words saying, stand steadfast and movable, abounding in the work of the Lord, it's like, hey, that sounds great. He said, now I'm going to tell you some one thing you can do to abound in the word of the Lord. And that leads us to where we are as the First Baptist Church of Pasadena today. Now, concerning the collection. Now, this is one of the reasons in this program that for Commitment Sunday, it's recommended that you bring a stranger, I guess I'm strange, bring a stranger uh, in to deliver this message, because I can say anything I want to say, and you can't blame Steve and Eddie for it. It's mine. So I'm going to talk about money. This is the thing that Paul is talking about here. Now, concerning the collection for God's people. Now, he was talking about the collection for Jerusalem. We're talking about what we're going to do here at the First Baptist Church of Pasadena. Concerning the collection, do what I told the Galatian churches to do. On the first day of every week, each of you should set aside a sum of money in keeping with his income, saving it up, so that when I come, we won't have to take any more collections. Now, he said, first, this is to be done on the first day of the week. He's talking about a local church. You know, it's easy for people to, to spiritualize giving. And I want to give here, and I want to give here, and I want to give here. Paul said, now, look, I'm talking to the local church. I'm talking to you here at the First Baptist Church of Pasadena. Because here is where you show Christ your obedience to Him in following what He has told you to do. I'm excited about what God is doing around the world, and we're all part of it because we're all part of that body. But the real excitement of what God wants to do here among you in Pasadena, in the First Baptist Church of Pasadena, because if you don't do it here, then all the rest is fluff. Here is where the rubber meets the road. Here's where the action is. That's what Paul says here. He's talking to the First Baptist Church of Corinth. Well, they were Baptists. He tells them to immerse, all that stuff. But he's talking to the First Baptist Church of Corinth, and he says on the first day of the week, when you get together, bring in your offerings. Now, those offerings, he said, should be 
determined by how much you have. It should be systematic giving. You look at what you have. You say, this is the portion I'm going to give. You set it aside. You bring it in. Now, we in the church talk about tithing. Uh, that's 10%. And, and I'm not going to push that one way or the other today except to say anecdotally, my experience has been anybody who tithes, who religiously, systematically, devotedly gives 10% of their income to the work of the Lord in their local congregation has never come to me and said, what a blunder, I shouldn't have done it. They come over and over again and say, this is the best decision I ever made. When I was pastor of the First Baptist Church up in Burlingame, uh, I, I had a man in the church who was, who was just really a great guy. His name was Roger Baker. Uh, Roger was a, a vice president of Safeway. The only company he had ever worked for in his whole career was Safeway. He started as a box boy in Bellflower, California, where later I became pastor. And he got $5 a week in high school as a box boy working at the Safeway store in Bellflower. And the first $5 check that he got or money that he got, he took 50 cents and took it and tithed it to the Lord. So he said, the first $5 I ever made, God got his 50 cents. And Roger said, I have tithed ever since. But he said, you know, I've had some decisions to make along the years. Because he said, frankly, as a vice president of Safeway, in charge of all their coffee, in charge of all of their soda products, in charge of all of their uh, jams and jellies, those three divisions all answer to me. He said, I'm, I do a little better than five bucks a week now. And he said, frankly, my tithe is a pretty healthy chunk. And I thought, maybe I should cut down the amount of tithe. But then he said, I looked at it, and I really think I'm making the kind of money I'm making because God has blessed me. So if I cut down the tithe, God has been happy with me as a tither, so he'll just cut my income to match the tithe. (laughs) You make a decision of what you're going to do. Now, I know that there are, we hear all this stuff, if if you give money to God, he will be uh, obligated to give you money back. And that kind of thing. I, I remember our daughter, Melissa, when she was four, five, six years old, wanted to do something. And I told her it wasn't convenient. She shouldn't do it. We weren't. She could. The answer was no. And she went away kind of heart sick. And then she came back all smiling. And she said, Daddy, if you let me do it, I'll give you a quarter. <laughs> I thought, I don't need a quarter. Well, I could have used it, but she got the quarter from me anyway. It was really my quarter through her. So how could she buy me out with the quarter that I'd given her in the first place? We don't do that to God. Everything we have is a gift from Him. Everything we have is His blessing. Our strength, our creativity, whatever we're doing, God has blessed us. God says, now I want a portion back, and I want it in a consistent way. I've heard people, and I believe this, I don't believe that we will see the miracle of the loaves and fishes reproduced if we tithe, if we give money to God. But I do believe, and I am convinced, that when we start to systematically manage our money, 
putting God first, He will bless us, and we will find that systematically managing our money gives us a whole lot more than just flitting it away and not thinking about it. He said, be reasonable stewards. Look at your income, set aside a portion, and bring it in to the local congregation. And then he said, the reason is, when I come, I don't want to pressure you for money. I don't want to be saying we need more. This is what we're going to do. Now, one of the things that impresses me, and one of the reasons I have been excited to come and talk to you this morning, is the program of which we are a part, which will be calling for a commitment, did not start by saying, here is the church budget. This is how much we're going to need this year. Now we all know there are needs. The lights are on, the heat, air conditioning, all that stuff. We know there are needs. Okay. But your leadership is not coming saying, here's how much we expect to spend this year. And kind of like consumers, look it over, and if you buy into it, provide the money. This is a program that says today we're going to make a commitment to God through our local church. And then the leaders of the church are going to take the way God's Spirit has moved in the lives of its believers here and say, this is what we will do this year based upon the common commitment we have made to the work of Christ here at the First Baptist Church of Pasadena. We're not trying to sell a program. We're trying to build a program. We're going to build a program out of the faithful commitment of God's people who are part of this family. And this is by God's grace what this family will be able to do to the glory of Christ in the year that lies ahead. And so now we get to that moment that you were all eagerly anticipating when you came. That moment when we're going to be very real about what our obedience and our commitment is going to mean to Christ in the year that lies ahead. You're going to be asked to make a commitment. Now, when you make a commitment, if your situation changes, that's fine. You're, I, I went to a, an American Baptist church in Minneapolis called Temple Baptist Church. People made pledges at the beginning of the year. And if they didn't meet their pledge at the end of the first quarter, they got visited by the deacons or trustees. They'd come out. But they had a habit in that church. Some of the people had the check waiting. They just wanted the visit. So they'd come and say, hey, you pledged so much money. Come on. Where's, oh, here's the check. I was waiting for you to come and get it. We're not doing that. This continues to be between you and the Lord. As He continues to lead you and bless you and guide you, but you're making a commitment now that starts the process of which you will be as a congregation, a family apart for the whole rest of this year. So I'm going to ask the ushers if they will come and give everyone one of these green commitment cards. You know, it dawned on me right now. These are green. Now, what color is your currency? I, I don't know if that was planned this way or not, but uh, that's what it is. As soon as everyone has a commitment card, and I assume there are pens or pencils in the pews, if you didn't bring one, 
If you were really involved in this, you might have brought your own pen along because you could do that with your own pen then. Here comes the green. Now, as soon as you get the card, please put your name, your address, city and state, and the phone numbers and the email, all that stuff in. Please do that first. Now, the reason is we don't want you to be making a commitment for somebody else. So this is your name. Here we are. Does anyone still need a card? Okay, everybody has a card. Put your name in. And then look at those three boxes at the top. In response to God's love and a concrete expression of my faith in and commitment to Christ and His church, I plan to take one step up by giving. If you're already tithing... And you're saying to God, you have blessed me so much I can give more than a tithe. And there are some of us who can give more than a tithe and should be doing it. There are some of us who can't. That's between us and God. But check that if to step up beyond. Or I'm going to step up to tithing. I'm going to to take a flyer on God's faithfulness to me and I'm going to tithe. When I was pastor of the First Baptist Church of Bellflower, we were having a commitment campaign. And for three Sundays, we had various lay people of the church give a testimony about their giving experience. And the third Sunday, one of our men stood up whom God had blessed very much. People didn't know that. He was a very common, ordinary sort of guy. But, but he was very well blessed financially by the Lord. And he talked about coming out of the military at the end of the Second World War and living on the GI Bill while he was in school, and he and his wife began to tithe and how God blessed them. And then he made a challenge. He said, "Uh, my wife doesn't know I'm going to do this, and the pastor doesn't know I'm going to do it, but he said, if you do not not tithe now, and we had a whole group of the church, maybe 20, 30% of the church was made up of young couples who were under 30. And he said, "If, if you have not tithed, And you'll start to tithe at the end of three months or six months if you say this is not the best decision I ever made. Uh, Come to me and I'll give you a check for what it's cost you. And he said, I won't tell the pastor, I won't tell my wife, I'll just be between us. And a year or more later, I said, anybody ever come and ask for their money back? He said, no. But a number of these young couples had said, that challenge to get us to tithing is the best thing that was ever done. God has blessed us. It's a good thing. So if you want to take, take a flyer to say, I'm going to tithe or, or step up toward a tithe. If I'm giving 1%, I'll give 2. If I'm giving 2%, I'll give 3 or 4 or 5, whatever. Make a decision to be a steward of what God has blessed you with. A percentage. And then my commitment is... And that's a dollar sign. That's the green. So much money, and it's either per week, every two weeks, every month, or other. 
Some of us get paid once a week. Some of us every two weeks. Some of us once a month. We don't expect you to tithe all four Sundays what you would tithe the first Sunday if you only get paid once. So just put it in first. Put an amount. And if this represents an increase over last year, check it, because this is not going to be shared publicly. Today, while we're eating lunch, people are going to be totaling these totals up so that we can get an idea of our response. But nobody's going to say, well, so-and-so is doing... They're not having time for that. They'll look at that, and then this will go into the the processing of the church where... um, all that stuff is handled. Nobody week by week is going to be making a report on how much you make. That's between you and God. But fill it out and date it. Today is a week before Mother's Day, the 4th of May. And we're going to pray. And then I'm going to ask you to come down here and put your commitment cards in the baskets here on the communion table that represents the meeting of God's people, and then quickly make your way out to the gym because it's time to eat. And now even if you don't leave a commitment card, you can still go to lunch. But we're going to meet there, and as God's people together, we're going to celebrate our commitment, our common commitment, our family, what God has given us together here in this congregation. So take just a minute now, and I'll be quiet. And you fill your card out, and then we'll pray. Our Father, your people, the family of Jesus here at the First Baptist Church, has heard your Spirit speak about a commitment to this family. And even now, as these cards are being filled out and decisions are being made, the future of this church is being reestablished. We pray that you will bless your people, that you will honor them for their commitment. And our faith tells us that this church faces its best years still ahead. Because we're surrounded by a community, many new people moving in, people who need to meet Jesus. People who need to grow in faith. People whose broken lives need to be healed. This family can be the introducers of your Son. So as a sacred commitment to Christ, we fill out these cards which express our obedience and our love. And because we are in the intimacy of the family, we are able to give of ourselves to the family life. Bless each one then, in Jesus' name. Amen.